wonderful friends, welcome to Faith FM Drive Time, welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. Once again, I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. I'm also your Drive Time host every Tuesday and Wednesday. It's so wonderful to be able to share with you on what is Christmas week of 2022. Uh, can you believe that the world, that the world, that the week has got away from us so incredibly uh, quickly? Uh, the year just seems to have disappeared almost into uh, into nothingness. Uh, this week uh, is indeed the countdown to Christmas on Monday. Uh, we asked that question, uh, should I celebrate Christmas? And is Christmas pagan? Really appreciated uh, what my friends Pastor Will Moala, Pastor Joseph Matichich, what they chaired on that uh, uh, on that occasion. Now, yesterday we looked at the, some amazing Old Testament prophecies that spoke of the coming of the Messiah. And uh, you know, nothing to me uh, found my... Uh, faith with more confidence than uh, those fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. Today, we're going to ask a question that uh, so many uh, do are actually prepared to debate. Uh, that's the, this question: uh, Was Jesus just a myth? Uh, did Jesus really exist? Now, look, this question is just so important. If Jesus didn't really exist, then hey, look, let's all pack up and go home. Uh, but indeed, uh, this question is something we need to look at the the evidence, the biblical evidence, and the extra biblical evidence uh, to respond to this particular question. Now, leading our discussion today is our regular uh, Wednesday co-host, and that's Pastor David Butcher. And uh, David, of course, is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Australia. And welcome to you, David. How are you, Gary? Uh, four four sleeps till Christmas, I believe. I tell you what, the, uh, the countdown is certainly on. I mean, I don't know. Well, how does the Butcher clan celebrate Christmas? Yeah, look, it changes, Gary. I, I guess um, we all know that um, Jesus was not born at Christmas, but yeah. uh, I guess traditionally for me, um, Christmas has been a time where family gathers that you may not see for a while, and um, uh, yeah, I guess it's um, spending time together, significant time together, it's eating, and, and we do share gifts, yeah. um, nothing significant, and I guess when children are younger, it, it's a bigger deal, and it yeah. may be now. So yeah, I've got family in Victoria, and my wife's family is in Adelaide, so we tend to float between one of two places generally. Yeah, yeah, it sounds very similar to ours. Ours is, uh, uh, tends to be a meal together, uh, but certainly, and, and some exchange of gifts. I know this year we're doing a Kris Kringle, so that everybody gets one gift and uh, we don't have to buy gifts for uh, for everybody. I like this Chris Kingle. And I think the family group where we we were with last Christmas was exactly the same and then there was some twist to that. You could exchange things and oh. um, take someone else's gift. There was a, a, a way that that worked so we'll see what happens this year, hey? I, that sounds like a good... I, I, I think that could be a very uh, worthwhile uh, addition. I'll talk to my uh, uh, to my Chris Kringle organiser uh, about that uh, that particular innovation. Yeah, and look, there was just to share with our listeners, there was uh, you know, there was some prank gifts if you like one of the gifts in this large family gathering was um, a pair of men's thongs 
that you put your, they were shaped, uh, made out of rubber, I guess, or latex, shaped like a fish with an open mouth and your foot went into the fish's body with the toes coming out the mouth. And they looked pretty ghastly, but uh, someone uh, fought for those uh, quite uh, strongly to wear those uh, fish thongs. Wow, wow, wow. I, uh, I won't ask no, uh, no, no. For, for more detail than, uh, than that. Uh, but David, look, let's come to our World Watch uh, segment um, because uh, I did actually pick up a, uh, an article. This was uh, out of the Sunny Skies uh, website. I love this little website. It's a website that specialises in, uh, uh, in good news, in happy news. And uh, an article just appeared just, uh, uh, just earlier on this, uh, uh, this month. And uh, this was what it was entitled, A Random Act of Kindness Sparked a Family's Decade of Giving During the Holidays. Twelve years ago, a stranger paid for Krista and Jeff Butt's three children's haircuts. That act unknowingly sparked over a decade of holiday acts of kindness from uh, this family. Uh, the Butts family. Uh, the the money uh, in that year uh, was tight back in 2010 for the Butts family. Krista was out of work and Jeff was working 80 hours per week uh, with the police department to provide for their three uh, young sons. We were depending on our church for help with Christmas presents and we got food baskets from them as well, Krista told, uh, told the uh, uh, reporter. Uh, Krista had saved up a enough money to get haircuts for the boys and was overcome with emotion after learning that all the haircuts were paid for by in full by some witnessing stranger. I could have kept the money and I probably should have kept the money, she said, but I didn't. The unknown man's act of kindness inspired the mum and her sons to perform their own acts of kindness that day and every holiday season moving forward. One of the recipients uh, was a mum with two kids. Uh, they uh, they wanted uh, something. They kept on going down the aisle uh, asking for uh, things that would comprise their Christmas present, Krista recalled, of the woman who appeared visibly upset. She said, no, we can't get that this week. Krista's sons gave them a gift card and wished her a Merry Christmas. When Krista asked why they chose her, they replied, because she, that mother, reminded us of you, our mother. It was an awesome parenting moment, Krista said, one that she is never going to forget each year since. The family has done for Christmas random acts of kindness around the holidays for 25 days. Starting December 1, the Butts family picks something nice to do for someone each day leading up to Christmas. It can be as simple as helping someone, holding the door, paying for a coffee, Krista said. We usually try to pay for at least one family's meal we reward public servants with food and treats, drop off decorated wreaths, Christmas decorations or meals to neighbours and strangers. We try hard to go places where people don't know us just to enjoy the spontaneity of it all and because I think it means more to people when it's a stranger doing something nice for you, she said. I don't know why that makes a difference, 
but I think it really does something for people and also for for us. Do you know, as I, as I read that particular story uh, initially, David, uh, I, I suppose to me it really spoke to me uh, incredibly uh, loudly. You know, uh, one, it actually brought a question, a question to my mind. You know, do you think that the act of giving has in some ways become too formalized? You know, we give at Christmas time, we give in birthdays, but it's a, it's a formal act. Do you think we've lost some of the spontaneity of giving? Yeah, I, I do. Which which then takes out yeah the spontaneity, the joy, um, the fact that it hasn't been premeditated, if you like, but mm. just comes from the heart at that point in time. And look, just recently, Gary, you know, at the start of the Christmas season season this year, I I, I heard an interview on on the radio promoting uh, one large department store promoting people to come in and buy a toy or a gift and leave it under their giving tree. Now. Mm. That's really generous, right? They'll be able to give that to people in need, and I'm not condemning that. Mm. But it's almost like um, perhaps it is an added aspect of consumerism. The department store would be benefiting as well. Yeah, yeah. Because they were saying you should buy a new, give a new toy, uh, place it under our tree, and you can get it in store. Mm. Um, so really good that they're looking to help people. And uh, we must say that a lot of the um, supermarket chains, they do give food away, don't they? And so they're doing a wonderful job. And I'm not suggesting some of the department stores aren't either. But as I listen to this story, you know, come into our store, buy a gift, put it under the uh, giving tree. um, It was commercialized. It's not it didn't seem to me from the heart. At least that's how the way I took it. So, yeah, the the story that you've shared, and we, we need more good news stories, is challenging as I listen to it. You know, we do random acts of kindness in my family, but not uh, not necessarily every day and not leading mm. up to Christmas or mm. across the holiday season. Uh, but I know that when we do them, um, it... Uh, you actually get a lift and for young children in fact um two christmases ago we were interstate and um there was a lot of homeless people uh where we were walking and um it was busy uh and um a lot of crowds everywhere it was at night time and my wife and our two children we're walking along and and my wife megan she's she's just a real blessing and she saw this homeless person on the ground and um, basically what she did, she stopped and we kept walking. You know, there was people everywhere. She, and we turned around and she'd seen this person sitting on the ground and um, she went back to them and she got them some food and a drink. And um, now when we see homeless, and it's not the first time we've done it, um, you know, outside McDonald's at times we've walked past and there's people there. Now, you know, sometimes you don't know what they're going to do with things, mm. but typically when we do this sort of thing, we go in and we buy them something rather mm. than give them cash. And I know for our children, um, it actually, it makes Christianity, and it doesn't have to be Christianity to be generous, I'm not suggesting that, but it actually makes things tangible. And, and this is one of the things I'm conscious that even, you know, we go along to church and, you know, the offering bag gets us passed around each, each week. But I, I found one of the real challenges with the, with the offering bag is that that indeed it, in many ways, it formalizes my giving. 
Mm. It, it it cuts out the the spontaneity of me being able to give a gift. I remember just a little uh, a little while ago in in my own case, it was uh, probably just three or four years ago. Uh, I had one of my church members uh, came up to me and. Uh, he said to me, he said, uh, Pastor Gary, he said, look, he said, I know, and one of our young men who was actually an international student over here who didn't have any family support had just um, uh, had a car accident and his car, he only was running around in a student-type vehicle. There was nothing special about this vehicle. and uh, But he had obviously written it off. It didn't take a lot of damage to write that vehicle off. Um, but he was he was a total mess and... Uh, uh, a number of us had heard about it, but I had one of my church members just come up to me and he said, Gary, look, he handed me an envelope and he said, uh, Gary, there's $5,000 in there. Uh, he said, I want you to go with, and he named the, the young man, and he said, I want you to go with him and I want you to buy him a, um, a, a second-hand car. Um, that he can get around. Look, we, powerful, isn't yeah, it? look, that was powerful stuff. And, uh, okay, I, uh, uh, you know, didn't actually take, take the full $5,000 in the end. And I went and I gave him his, you know, I gave, I gave him the receipt back and the, the remainder of the money. I thanked him profusely. Uh, but you know, to me, I know that what that said. I just went to the young man and I said, Hey, look, there's a friend. He just wants to buy you a car. Uh, we went out, we bought the car, we came back. I had the receipt. I, you know, I, I gave the receipt and the excess cash back to the, uh, back to the church uh, church member, and but you know, to me, one of the things I'm conscious of, David, is that uh, that form of spontaneous uh, generosity uh, is something that um, uh, is uh, is so needed in the world in which we're living today. It is. I think so often we're insular, we're concerned and worried about our own futures. Mm. and um, uh, survival and caring for ourselves. And so we lose this generosity factor. Mm. And um, I think when we, when, we, when we sort of seem to hoard or collect or gather, and as human beings we can be like that, can't we? We can. To protect ourselves or to establish ourselves. And it's important to establish yourself. I'm not suggesting it's not. But what actually happens is you become... Um, I think you you face the danger of becoming less generous, less spontane- uh, spontaneity uh, with with your giving because you're worried about your own future. But when you see people that have made an, a, a course of life, and my father was one where he was just generous and giving continually, even though he needed support, but he was just a blessed man. Mm. Um, you know, people, you, you walk around some of these really expensive homes. I'm thinking of one along one of the beachfronts here in Adelaide, and it's got security cameras everywhere, shutters up, and you sort of think, what's going on in there, right? Yeah, yeah. The more you get, the more fearful you become of someone else taking what you yeah, have. Yeah. The more you give, the more you're blessed. Yeah. You, you certainly understand why the Scripture talks about uh, the issue of generosity. You know, one of the things I'm really conscious of is that uh, certainly, I mean, I've I've certainly retire, returned a tithe, you know, ever since yes. I was a young uh, a young man, and I feel I've been richly blessed by that. But you know, some people say, "Hey, look, you know, how can you actually afford to do that?" You know, one of the things that I I'm conscious of, and my response to them often is, actually, in Scripture, we're taught to be uh, generous people. You know, because to me, there is a double blessing. You know, one gets blessed, but so does and so do I. In giving, it, it, you get you have a healthy heart and a healthy mind, and 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 let's think about it. Um, 
God wants us to be generous. He's been generous with us. You know, yeah. the most famous well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah. God poured out the resources of heaven. Mm. Uh, and so why should we be stingy and, and hold on to things? And so I think, um, you know, for myself, there's a constant challenge, you know, be more generous. Uh, and, you know, um, we are generous, but I think we could be so much more generous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I really appreciate what you're actually saying there, David. And, you know, to me, what this is uh, saying to me about uh, about Christmas is, hey, I believe the Scriptures actually call us uh, to be generous just as God the Father was generous in giving his Son at that we remember at this uh, this time of the year. Uh, folks, let's come to some music. Uh, love, uh, uh, this is uh, just a, a rendition of the Bethlehem Children's Chorus. They're singing Old Little Town of, of Bethlehem. Uh, love some of these, uh, some of these songs. Uh, some of the, th- some of the themes of, uh, uh, of Christmas, uh, of old.
And that was the Bethlehem Children's Choir, oh, little town of Bethlehem. You know, it reminds me of uh, of Christmas as when I was growing up in uh, in those days, you know, in the western suburbs there of, uh, of Sydney on the hot summer evenings. Uh, there used to be a tradition where the, uh, the Salvation Army used to have a lot of bands in, uh, in those days and uh, they would come marching up and down the, the streets uh, playing Christmas carols and uh, everybody would come out uh, to the uh, street to, uh, to watch them uh, pass, uh, pass by. Uh, and it became an incredible family uh, fellowship time, as you mentioned, neighbours uh, once again. And uh, certainly that's something that I... Uh, those carols were something that uh, still stick in my mind. But, of course, that was way back uh, in... Uh, way back in the last last century somewhere. Uh, but uh, a wonderful memory of the uh, of the Christmas season. Perhaps you've got memories of uh, Christmases past as well. Look, folks, we do have a giveaway. We do have a giveaway book uh, for you uh, for you today, uh, and this is a, a simple book. It's entitled "Who Is Jesus?" And today, of course, we're asking this question: Did Jesus? Did he really exist? It's so important that we have this have this understanding in our mind. Uh, this is by uh, Sarah Davis. All the armies that ever marched, says the book, and all the navies that are ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of humanity as powerfully as this one solitary life uh, to me as i as i as i read that of course it's quoted in this uh, in this book it comes from the poem uh, one solitary life uh, it's attempting to answer the question who is jesus uh, now look guys uh, this is something that you may wish uh, to to simply make a request of if you would like your own copy of who is Jesus? It's a simple book. It's not a difficult book. This is a book that you you may like to uh, to share with maybe one of your uh, one of your teenage children as they uh, as they're growing up as they've got lots of questions uh, to do with uh, Christianity uh, and religion. Was Jesus real? This is the book that you you need. Now, look, if you'd like your own copy of Who is Jesus, all you need to do is to text us here at our drive time text time text number, and that number is 04888-80811-04888-80811 and all you need to do is put in your text our code now our code is SA 86 SA86 now no gap between the SA and the 86 just SA86 and uh, uh, that'll go directly to our robot and uh, our robot he will uh, he'll pick up your your message he'll uh, come back to you ask you a few questions your address and uh, personal uh, and your details and uh, so that we can get this book to you in the fastest possible uh, way you'll love this book who is Jesus and uh, uh, by Sarah Davis, SA86, and that uh, uh, drive time text number again, 04888 808 11. Now you are listening to uh, Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in uh, South Australia. Uh, now this week, uh, of course, we're counting down to Christmas. Uh, what is it, uh, three or is it uh, four, four sleeps? Four, four sleeps. sleeps till Christmas. Goodness me, I, uh, I'm i starting to get messed up just in the, uh, in the countdown. Uh, the shops are certainly uh, busy uh, out there, and uh, here, 
here in the studio, we're asking questions to deal with Christmas. On on Monday, uh, we asked that question that seems to be discussed every year amongst many Christian in many Christian circles. Should I celebrate Christmas? And is Christmas pagan? Uh, and then uh, yesterday, we looked at some of the Old Testament prophecies that uh, spoke of the coming of the Messiah. And today, uh, we're, we're simply asking, was Jesus a myth? Did he really exist? Now, this one is foundational to faith. My friends, if he didn't really exist, then let's pack up and go home and let's stop pretending because uh, Jesus is, of course, the centre uh, of our faith. But look, David, help us out on this one. Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, is he just a myth? Did he really exist? Another really good question and, and really timely, isn't it, in, in the week of Christmas when I guess uh, many Christians and many people that uh, might even reflect think that Jesus was born at this time. So was he real? Um, and um, look, I don't know about you, Gary, but um, uh, well, I'll sh- share with you a story. Uh, when my daughter was um, uh, in three-year-old kindergarten, three, four-year-old kindergarten, um you know, we didn't hide from our kids the fact that um, Santa Claus wasn't real. And I remember, you know, we I think one or two years we had our kids sit on Santa's lap in the shopping centre and you have the photo taken. And uh, our daughter in one of those years, she uh, grabbed his beard <laughs> <laughs> and she tugged on his beard. And, of course, it wasn't real, right? <laughs> and um, so we, we didn't hide from our children that um, Santa was not real. Yeah. And um, she went to our daughter when she was in three-, four-year-old kindergarten. She was there and, and sharing with children about all sorts of things, right? <laughs> and um, it came for the time in, in a public park where they had uh, a semi-trailer with an open sort of uh, canopy on the back and they had bands there and all the kindergartens and primary yeah. schools doing this uh, performance and concert and various acts and our daughter was there with her kindergarten and parents are there with their kids all dressed up in Christmas colours and our young daughter was going around to her friends at kindergarten on this particular Sunday afternoon whispering and telling them you know Santa's not real <laughs> and so much so that the kindergarten teacher came up to my wife, I'm glad she went to my wife and not me and she said can you tell your daughter just to, uh, to keep her thoughts to Stop herself it, <laughs> because the parents were upset, right, yeah, that yeah, um, the yeah. bubble's been burst, yeah. you know, because so many people make Santa seem real. Yeah. But we live in a world, don't we, where um, it's not just Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. the Easter Bunny. There's the Easter Bunny. There's the Tooth Fairy, and I remember as a kid, and I certainly we didn't believe in any of that, but uh, I think there was one year where I put a tooth under my pillow when it came out. And there was nothing there the next morning for me. Uh, and, and look, even... Was your tooth there? Um, I, don't, I don't recall that, but I know there was no gift. Yeah. Uh, even things like um, the fabled King Arthur. Yeah. yeah. You know, so society grabs many of these sorts of things and holds them up, if you like. Yeah. But when it comes to Jesus, they will consider that to be a myth. They put that they put Jesus in exactly the same boat as they might put all of these other um, uh, mythical uh, creatures. Look, that's right, and, and I honestly believe that uh, people that have studied history and historians um, 
most of them, and I can't say all, yeah, but most yeah. of them, I believe, with an open mind, could not deny or would not deny that Jesus of Nazareth was a historical figure. Now, there are many people in the community that don't see that. Yeah. Now, those uh, historians and, and those, sorts of, uh, uh, those sorts of people that would see Jesus as a historical figure, there would be many of them, if not a majority, that wouldn't see Jesus as divine. Yeah. But they would certainly see him as a historical figure. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's actually an important point. I mean, the issue of was Jesus divine is certainly a matter of does come into faith. Um, that does come into faith, but the issue of whether Jesus really existed and whether he did the miracles that he's that is appointed uh, to him, uh, that's actually another question. You know, David, one of the most uh, powerful articles that I remember ever reading came from the Biblical Archaeological Review, which is a uh, the archaeological journal, uh, yes. and uh, uh, and it actually concerned evidence for. Uh, the authority of, uh, for uh, the existence of Jesus Christ, and I still remember hearing that. In fact, it was a little bit of a chill went up my back when I when I read that no reputable historian today uh, would actually consider uh, contain, um, would would actually consider um, uh, forming a conclusion that Jesus Christ did not exist. Do you know? To me, that's a that was an incredibly powerful uh, statement. It really did say something to me. Yeah, look, they might question, as you say, the the element of faith. Uh, was he divine? Did he do miracles? Was all of these things? But no credible person that really has an open mind and 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 actually looks at the historical facts, I don't think, would question that he yeah, actually lived. Yeah, yeah. And, and there is evidence, extra biblical evidence outside the scriptures, which which supports. Uh, the fact that Jesus was a, a true historical figure. David, can we come to the scriptures first of all? I mean, to Absolutely. me, I'm really interested in knowing the, uh, I suppose the scriptures appear to uh, almost uh, take for granted that uh, that Jesus was an historical figure. Can we just have a look at that first? Yeah, look, absolutely. Uh, look, one of the um, passages I'd like us to look to uh, is John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, and it's verse 45. And um, this is a story, I mean, John is is a bit of a unique Gospel account, of the mm-hmm. story of Jesus from the other three Gospels. But um, in verse 43, we have the story of Philip and Nathaniel. And uh, chapter 1 is dealing with the first disciples. It says here in verse 43, The following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So here we have in the very first chapter of um, of John's Gospel, Philip is saying to Nathaniel, we have found the one of whom Moses and the prophets wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. In other words, here is Philip. He's, he's a, a dedicated Jewish man. Mm-hmm. He knows the Old Testament scriptures because mm-hmm. uh, that was the Bible. They didn't have the New that Testament. That was their Bible. That was their Bible. Yep, yep. And yet John 
who is um, you know one of the latter writers in the New Testament, John is recording what actually took place when Jesus started his ministry, uh, quoting Nathaniel saying, look, we've found the one who Moses, who wrote the first five books of Scripture, yeah. and then all of the Old Testament prophets were talking about. Mm-hmm. So in other words, there is a uh, an undergirding belief there in those apostles that not only did Jesus exist, but that he was a fulfillment of of the prophetic scriptures. Now, of course, we talked about just yesterday. We talked about some of those incredible prophecies in the uh, in the Old Testament, and uh, to me, uh, it's it's thoroughly exciting as you dig into the Word of God. In fact, one of the things I'm conscious of is that if you go into, for example, Matthew's Gospel, I'm conscious that he's continually just simply quoting. He's saying, "This is what was fulfilled from the Old Testament," you know, and you've sort of got. Uh, person, you've got situation after situation that Matthew sees fulfilled in the life of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. We're talking um, some of those Old Testament um, prophecies or passages that were pointing forward to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, were written six, seven, eight, nine hundred, even a thousand years prior. Yeah. And, um, you know, by different authors on different continents. And yet when Jesus came on the scene, um, you know, his public ministry, um, uh, 27 AD, thereabouts, when he comes on the scene, um, Matthew who is writing to a Jewish audience who knew the Old Testament is using those uh, Old Testament authors to prove that this one, Jesus of Nazareth, is the fulfillment of everything they've been reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, that's incredibly powerful. You know, I uh, I look at, you know, Matthew's Matthew's gospel there. I, I love uh, actually uh, verse 23 of chapter 1. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with with us. And now that to me is an amazing passage of scripture because it's bestowing a title on Jesus that is bestowed on nobody else. But significantly, it's talking about here a virgin is going to conceive. There's going to be some sort of supernatural uh, empowerment here uh, of, of a woman. And of course, that's exactly uh, what did actually occur. Now, of course, tomorrow, uh, our Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh are going to talk about this particular issue because there's certain Certainly, uh, been a significant discussion in more recent times. You know, is this real? And the question that really that uh, both Fabiano and Pastor Fabiano, Pastor Hugh are going to be looking at tomorrow is you know, the supernatural. Is it reasonable uh, to, uh, to 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 expect that uh, supernatural things occur? In this world, it's going to be an intriguing discussion tomorrow when we deal with that particular question. I'm really looking forward to hearing that, Gary. And, and look, here's another one. There are so many of these, aren't there? Uh, this is Matthew chapter two, verse one, uh, which is talking about the place where Jesus was born. Matthew two, verse one says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Um, and it's interesting to know that, um, uh, when you go back to the ancient Old Testament book of Micah, mm. the prophet Micah. Which is where this comes from. Which is where this comes from. This is what the prophecy was, talking about where Jesus would originate from. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So this tells us a couple of things. Uh, firstly, that uh, out of Bethlehem Ephrata. Why does it say Bethlehem Ephrata? Because there were two Bethlehems. 
Oh, okay. And so the, um, you know, um, mica is distinguishing hundreds of years in advance which Bethlehem Jesus will come out of. This is like saying, you know, we've got, I mean, we've got a Brighton here in Adelaide. I know there's another one over in Melbourne. There's one in Sydney, you know. But here, it, the prophet's actually turning around and he's saying, hey, look, you know, it's not just going to be uh, a uh, a town called Bethlehem in one of three or four different towns. It's going to be that a particular spe- one. A specific one, absolutely. And That's interestingly, powerful. as a side point, uh, Bethlehem means house of bread, right? Yeah. What did Jesus yeah. call himself? The bread of life. Bread so, of life. yeah, hundreds of years before, um, Micah is saying, Jesus will come from Bethlehem Ephrata. Matthew picks up on this in his gospel account, as do some of the others. And not only that, it says that Jesus will come from of old, from everlasting, which which um, tells us, if we like, that Jesus did not have a beginning point. Yeah, he's been yeah. everlasting, divine. Yeah. This yeah. this is the divine one. Yeah. No, look, I love what you're actually saying. You know, one of the things that I think we must realize too is that uh, these things were written by the New Testament authors, but at no point do any of those who are of his generation that were opposing Christ, at no point did they ever uh, express any doubt in the existence of Jesus Christ. And to me, this is just so powerful because, you know, one of the easiest ways to have undermined Christ in that first century would have been simply to say, look, why do you follow him because he doesn't exist but we find in all the writers all the extra biblical writers that they actually assume his existence because they know that he does exist but look we're going to come to that in a moment because I'm really anxious that we come to our uh, extra biblical uh, sources um, but let's come to that in uh, in just a moment let's come to some some music right now uh, once again and one of those uh, fantastic uh, uh, Christmas uh, Christmas hymns oh holy night uh, please enjoy
And that is uh, Jewel and the uh, the, the Christmas uh, song there. Oh, holy night! Uh, what a real beauty uh, that uh, that song is. How much it does say. Uh, you know, I I really appreciate. It. Look, folks, if uh, uh, if your young people are. Uh, uh, musically inclined, uh, why don't you just play to them some of the uh, some of these Christmas carols? Uh, they do actually uh, establish uh, memories. I know in in our home, uh, certainly uh, around, uh, certainly at Christmas time, uh, we actually like to be able to play and uh, certainly sing uh, some of uh, some of these. Um, uh, one of the things growing up is we used to practice a thing called family, uh, family worship. And, uh, on those occasions, uh, to actually be able to sing some of the, uh, songs that, uh, that, that children appreciate, uh, of, uh, of Christmas, of, uh, uh, of Christ, uh, is actually very powerful. Can I encourage you? Uh, this time of the year to share this story uh, with your with your children. Now, folks, look uh, um, to to help. We've got this uh, this book here. It's a real it's a real little beauty. Uh, Who is Jesus? Is the title of of this book by Sarah Davis, and uh, she simply uh, on the on the back cover uh, all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man as powerfully as this one solitary life. Talking, of course, of uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, The book's entitled Who is Jesus? Now, look, guys, if you would like a copy, maybe this is a book you might like to share um, with with family at uh, at Christmas time. Maybe there is somebody who is an inquirer. Uh, Who is Jesus? If you'd like your own copy, uh, then drive time. Our drive time text number is 04888. 80811 04888811 and all you need to do is to text us the code SA86 and no gaps in that just SA86 and that'll go through to our robot and he'll uh, come Come back to you, ask a, a, a few questions of you, and uh, uh, so that we can send this book to you in the fastest possible way. SA eighty six is the code O four triple eight eight o eight eleven. The text number and who is Jesus? The the name of uh, of this book that you'll receive when you send us that uh, that text uh, that text number. Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher. And we are on uh, the countdown uh, to uh, to Christmas. Uh, and David, of course, is the lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right here in South Australia. And uh, this week... Uh, we, uh, uh, we are emphasizing uh, the questions concerning Christmas. Uh, where did the Christmas story uh, actually, actually come from? Uh, we started by, by talking about should a, should a Christian celebrate Christmas? Is Christmas pagan? And we saw that there are certainly roots to, of pagan origin in this particular festival. Uh, we, uh, we did look though and, uh, uh, we, we did see that, uh, that December uh, 25 is actually uh, not the date of uh, of Christ's uh, Christ's birth. But then we moved on and we started to to look at the the issue of uh, does the Old Testament really foretell Christ? And today we're simply asking: Is Jesus just a myth, just like Santa Claus? Uh, and of course, 
the biblical evidence moves so much against that particular conclusion. David, bring it together for us, if you will. Yeah, thank you, Gary. And and as we began this uh, session, uh, the evidence for Jesus' existence uh, cannot be categorized as a myth or mythical unlike Christmas, unlike Easter or, you know, Easter bunnies and the tooth fairy, because even outside of the Bible, yeah. you know, you can poo-hoo the Bible, you can put it down, but even outside of the Bible, there are credible historians. And let me share with you uh, some of the evidence. There is more than now, what I'm sharing. this is extra biblical material. Yep. Uh, evidence outside of the scriptures. Absolutely. Yep. So let's, let's look at some of that, that, that Jesus was definitely a real person in history. One example is this. Jesus is mentioned um, by a Roman historian, Cornelius Tacitus, who the Encyclopedia Britannica calls probably the greatest historian that wrote in the Latin language. Mm-hmm. So the Encyclopedia Britannica says Tacitus, probably one of the greatest that wrote in Latin as a historian. He wrote during the century that Jesus lived. This is important. So the yeah, same time yeah, period. Yeah, yeah. And when writing about the great fire of Rome... Uh, which was in 64 AD. And, you know, we sort of believe that maybe Emperor Nero may have started that fire. Mm. But this is what Tacitus said. Now, this guy, I understand it, didn't actually like Christians. He was, anti- he, he really, in fact, he hated Christians. That's exactly right. So this is an, an enemy source, if you like, not a friendly source. This, he was a Roman. And, and to me, that's actually a really significant point because, uh, you know, there are sometimes if my enemies say something, uh, then uh, I will t- put that in a different category than if my friends are saying it about me. 100%. So this is what he says in relation to the great fire and Nero, etc. Tacitus says, to suppress the rumour, uh, Emperor Nero falsely charged the guild and punished with the most exquisite tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their enormities. Christus, or Christ Christus, as we would yeah. say, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. Now, we know that uh, the Gospels talk about Tiberius Caesar, that mm-hmm. that uh, Jesus lived during that reign. We know that the Gospels also say that Pontius Pilate was the Roman procurator or governor that was responsible for um, uh, giving the decree that Jesus could be killed. Mm-hmm. So here is um, here is a historian, Tacitus. Probably the most reputable historian of the first century. That's right. And we're talking probably 30 to 45 years after the death of Christ. So some of the apostles are still alive when Tacitus is writing. Absolutely. And yet he is talking about this this person called Christus, uh, the founder of the name Christian, and that Pontius Pilate, the governor, a procurator in Judea in the reign of Tiberius. The scriptures also state that. That dates it. You know, I mean, that to me, we know the dates when those people were reigning. We know where they were reigning, and it's backed up by Tacitus, who is the best of the uh, Roman uh, historians of that era. That's exactly right. So let me give you another one. Tacitus, he had a colleague called Pliny the Younger. 
Mm-hmm. Now there was a. These pl- are interesting names, they aren't, are, they? aren't they? <laughs> um, uh, and uh, there's plenty of the elder as well, right? This yeah. is plenty of the younger, and plenty of the younger observed during his role as a Roman governor. So remember, he's a Roman governor. He's not Jewish. Mm-hmm. Roman governor, uh, and plenty of the younger observed that Christians were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang a hymn to Christ as to a God. Wow. They sang a hymn to Christ as to a God. You know, David, in the era in which this is occurring, that is a remarkable statement because if I was to sing to somebody as if they were a God, what I'm actually doing is going against the law of the land because what we actually have is the uh, the uh, Caesar was regarded as a uh, as a god, one hundred percent. And in fact, the Gospel of Mark, um, one of the key terms that the Gospel of Mark uses for Jesus is uh, not only Christ or Messiah, but another one is the Son of God. Mm. Now, the emperors saw themselves as a son of God. They were, they were deity. And so for Mark, who is writing about 65 to 70 AD. Similar time. Similar time. We're talking 30 to 40 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. Yeah. For Mark, who writes his gospel, to be referring to Jesus of Nazareth as a son of God. Yeah. Um, he is putting anyone at risk who reads his writing. Yeah. Because, um, this the this was a title for the empress, not for any Galilean man. And yet Pliny turns around and he says that Christians sing hymns to him as if to a god. A god, exactly. Now, th- th- this is really, really, I think, something that you know it must challenge us today. Uh, because what it does is it establishes that the ancient historians are taking Jesus as a real person and he's being treated even in the earliest possible era as being divine. Not not centuries after his death, but yeah. in the earlier possible. Here is another one. And this one is uh, from a gentleman um, who also lived during the same century as Jesus. His name was um, Flavius Josephus. Ah, yes. Now, he was a Jew, but he was um, a Jewish historian, but he was in the employment of the Roman authorities. Okay, okay. And again... He wasn't a Christian. Exactly. So none of these are Christians, yeah, right? Yeah, they're not yeah, writing yeah. A, a, a. They're not writing a, a, a treaty for you to, or a, a, a document to say, "Hey, this guy's a top guy. Let's worship him." Yeah, yeah. They're simply recording history. That's all. Yeah. So this is Flavius Josephus. At this time, there was a wise man called Jesus, and his conduct was good, and he was known to be virtuous, and many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. So there are just three examples, and there are many, many more, um, that show from outside of the Bible that Jesus was a true historical figure. They mention, Tacitus mentions Tiberius, mm-hmm. the, the emperor. He also mentions Pontius Pilate. The scriptures themselves, the gospels also talk about Tiberius. They also talk about Pontius Pilate. Yeah. Um, and so for me, Gary, as we look at the New Testament accounts, you you don't start if you're going to start a, a new religion. 
you don't start it with something that's going to bring scrutiny by the Roman authorities. You wouldn't start it with somebody who is effectively a failure. I mean, I mean, hey, I mean, let's face it. I mean, we, we today, I mean, um, those who are idolized are those who are successful. Uh, maybe they can do supernatural. But I mean, if a person is put to death as a criminal, I mean, who would write a script like this? That's right. And, and Jesus was put to, he died a criminal's death because in the Jewish writings in the Old Testament, it talked about cursed as anyone who was hung on a tree. And so for the Jewish mind to accept Jesus as their long awaited Messiah, the, you know, the deliverer, uh, we as Christians as God, there is no way they could stomach that because of some of the Old Testament writings that say, hey, if you hang a criminal on a tree, but yeah. Jesus died a criminal's death yeah, yeah why yeah. because sin deserves death yeah, yeah. and and this is what paul wrestles with and paul was the great um theologian of the new testament mm. he says in first uh, corinthians 1 verses 18 for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us are being saved it is the power of god so he says hey this is foolishness people don't want to follow someone that died on a tree, yeah, a criminal's yeah, death. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, and it didn't make sense in his era, and it really doesn't make sense uh, today until you turn around and you start to examine the evidence. And when you examine the evidence, that's when you can sort of open your open the scriptures and you can say, "Hey, the Word of God treats." Jesus Christ as a real person. Uh, and then you look outside of the scriptures, you look at the extra biblical sources, and you say, hey, the historians are doing exactly the same. Look, ab- absolutely. And and here's another text, um, 1 Corinthians 1 again, where it says, um, for Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So you don't start a religion with a failure. And yet, the New Testament scriptures, not only are they referencing, you know, hundreds of accounts of prophecies from the Old Testament showing how Jesus, hundreds, if not a thousand years later in some cases, fulfilled those to the letter. But they start, if you like, a religion, a fledgling religion, referencing Jesus as the Son of God, um, celebrating the fact that he died, his crucifixion, um, and as you read Paul's writings, it majors on the fact that Jesus died and he rose again. Mm -hmm. Paul talks about that everywhere. Now, you don't write that if it's not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't write that... Um, and expect it to succeed. Particularly when people of the first generation are still around and all they've got to do is turn around and say, well, no, I was there and it wasn't so. But the reality is, is that if you ask those, uh, if you look at those who are writing against Christ, they use many, um, uh, many claims against Christ. They say, ah, oh, the supernatural that he was doing, that was done by the power of Satan. But they never at any point, the most powerful polemic against him would have been, 
It doesn't exist. Yeah, and, and so they didn't discount the miracles. They just said it was through the power of Satan. Yeah. And what you've just said there, Gary, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's letter, and Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in about 55 AD. So we're talking about, um, uh, what are we talking? We're talking about 25, um, 25 years, if you like, 20 years. After... Yeah, and this is what he says. Uh, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he says this, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and this is the key, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present but some have fallen asleep so he's saying here that uh, there are people still alive today that were that were around when this happened mm. and yet no one is discounting the fact exactly 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 david i think this is we do have to bring this bring this all together i really appreciate what it is that you shared to me the thing that i i really appreciate is that the evidence is so solid on this particular matter it is supported by the the non-christian uh, extra biblical sources that are out there to me uh, this is important this well friends it does look like our time's up for today thank you so much for joining pastor gary and pastor david butcher on drive time big q a Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Pastor Hugh Heenan chat about the issue of the virgin birth. Is the supernatural in the New Testament? Is it an unreasonable belief? Really look forward to you joining us again. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.